0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. We're the show that's getting you over the game line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. Whether you're listening to us on Eon Sports Radio or directly from our podcast feed, we're thrilled to have you. Uh joining us as per usual this week is the one I only Hugh Cavill. How are
1: you? Hugh? I'm good, Reg. Bit rested. Rested after the week off and, and ready to fire.
0: <laughs> that's right, and we had our bye week and, and I think it's um we enjoyed a week off and we I hope everyone got a good, a bit of a laugh out of our, uh, our special podcast release last week. But it's ironic that Matt's felt the need to take an extra week off here too, um, just sort of stretching things a little bit. But I guess that is his, uh, his prerogative. Um, but it gives us a good opportunity to welcome a uh, a, a, a long time guest and one we haven't had on the show for a little while. Jamie Miller calling in from uh, the USA. How are you, Jamie?
2: Hi, guys. How you doing? Uh, you know, mid-season recruit, isn't that uh, unusual to spice things up a bit and, you know, keep the other players on their toes? Yeah,
0: exactly. Bring us home strong, mate. We're relying on you.
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Now, lots to chat about, obviously. We, we didn't have the show last week, so we've got... Uh, Plenty of topics to discuss this week. Really interesting round of Super Rugby, particularly from that Australian perspective. Uh, So I have five burning questions. We'll run through them and uh, get stuck into them pretty damn quickly for you. So the first question is the force win on the weekend. Was that the best by an Aussie team this year? Question two, can the Reds win the conference now? Question three, what do we want from this Australian coaching summit we're hearing about in the news of late? Uh, question four: The Rugby League Rugby World Cup draw. What do we what do we make of that from our perspective and otherwise? Um, and question five: Another positional question here. Who plays number thirteen? Who plays outside centre for the Wallabies? Um, getting through this team slowly. It's getting closer to the Test season, so we'll get stuck in that a bit, a bit later. But uh, let's look at the uh, the games of the weekend. And the, the Force got up there over in Buenos Aires against the Jaguars in a mighty impressive performance. Um, that has really shaken things up from the Aussie Conference perspective, and we can talk about that later. But, Jamie, that was a a great performance by the Force, and I guess let's chat about that performance in itself. But then ask that question, is that the best performance of the year as well?
2: Yeah, I think it was. Um, It was a really, really good game. Uh, Then the Force were full value for the win. Uh, I think they won by 10, and it would have been a bigger win without a very dubious, disallowed try in the last 15 minutes that the... uh, that the fullback Tucole made a, I think we've got to say, a, a typically Argentinian hash of. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, they, they were full of beans, they were full of energy, they were well coached, they were executing well. I mean, it was great to watch as well. Um, I think that was the best victory by an Australian team this year. And, you know, they, they deserved every bit of that win.
0: The thing I like about that performance was, um, Dave Vessels, uh, and look, I think Matt Hodgson, I don't know how serious his injury was, but he didn't play. T- uh, Tatafi Pilata now didn't play. So two of his most experienced players, let alone forwards, uh, were rested or, 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 you know, um, flew back from Australia, to Australia early for this game. So it really was not a makeshift team, but he really tested the the, the depth of his up-and-coming players there. And they stood up massively. It was a really physical game. And look... I'll be honest, I've, I've struggled to tip the Jaguars this year. Hugh, you're the tip king here, and you can have a, a chat about this in a second. They're up and down as they were last year, but take nothing away from it. And an away win in Argentina, uh, it's rare as hen's teeth for any Australian rugby team this, these days. So uh, I'm with you, Jamie. Best performance by an Aussie team so far this year. I can't think of anything that would, would even get close to it. Hugh, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Reg, I, I agree with you that, look, the Sun aren't, I'm sorry, the, the Jaguars aren't very good. Um, you know, no. you could say that up top. I watched them against the Sunwolves and they nearly lost at home to a pretty average Sunwolves team. And you know, for for a team with so many big name players, a team with the bones of a side that made the World Cup semi final, it's still quite surprising how how bad they are. That said, take nothing away from from the Force, and I, I think it easily was the best performance of the year. If not, you know, necessarily on the field, it wasn't like they blew them away, but. Yeah, considering what you said, Reg that they were out without Hodgson, without Pilotta now and then John Lance went off at half time. You know, yep. that, I think it was six all at half time and they lost John O'Lance I thought, Well that's that's the game, they're cactus now. I mean um and, and they fought and fought away and they and they got on top and and had the disallowed try. They, you know, dropped the ball over the line once, they were held up once and I thought, Oh well looks you know, it looks like it it might be one of those games for the Force. Another case of you know, so close but so far. But they they battled through it, and and their and their bench was the best part. You know, I, I said I said a few weeks ago that the Force were fielding a glorified NRC side, um, and some of those guys coming off the bench, I don't even think played NRC, um, and and <laughs> yeah, which which is a full it's such a credit to them that they were able to come off the bench and perform so well um in in argentina against the, the jaguars so look it was um it was a really really commendable performance and and it's a time to bring up roots that we committed we committed before this game on twitter that if the force won the australian conference we'd go over and do the show live from perth and i thought it was a pretty safe bet at the time after we predicted the force would come last um and uh, geez, we, we might have to start looking at flights because if they it, if they <laughs> keep that warm-up, it uh, could get a bit hairy for us.
0: Oh, there's a big chance, and we can have a chat about that soon. And I've just put my tickets to Sydney for the uh, Scottish test. I'm not quite ready to shell out more to go with the force, but we have made that commitment. Hey, mate, i tell you what, Hugh, one of the guys who stood out particularly on Lance's departure was your mate Ian Pryor. We you had a bit of a rave about him a couple of weeks ago as one of your sort of just favourite players Pryor, for what he does, but just, he really stood up.
1: Mr. Consistency, isn't he? Um, and, um, he, and he, look, it was easily his best game I've ever seen him play. Um, and, and he, you know, he's, he's there or thereabouts every week and, and he, and he, he, um, set up that last show really nicely to, um, I think it was uh, Alex Newsom who crashed up, and he had a good yep. game as well. There's a lot of talent in that team, that force team. And but the thing about it is, and I think that'll we'll, we'll probably touch on it at a, in one of our later questions. But just so well coached. And Jamie, I, you know, I'd yeah. I'd like to hear your take on this because it's just they they. They do the basics really well. There was, not, there's not much drop ball. They know what they're capable of, and and broadly speaking, they they do it. And and you really see them on the end of a big loss because they've got so much heart and determination. But you know, especially in defence, their structures work really well. It's 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 really good to watch.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Actually, there, I think if there's one big winner from the Super Rugby season from an Australian perspective, it's Dave Vessels um who's you know he's a young coach he's still in his 30s and his background is as a defense coach um but he's come through different pathways in South Africa and I must confess I watch the force almost every week because of those two things on the one hand the players seem to really be enjoying themselves you know they really Mm. get stuck in which uh more than a few of the Australian other teams uh that isn't the case and the other thing is, is just the coaching. Like they're, they're just really savvily coached. There's a real purpose to what they're doing. They don't have these sort of over coached, over rehearsed, um, attacking structures like the Brumbies do. Um, everything is very purposeful and smart and clever and well suited to the limited resources they have. And I think that means that every week they basically more than the sum of their parts, which is what rugby should be all about. Um, And I think last weekend was really the moment where it all came together. And it's a a real credit to Vessels out there. And, I mean, he he really has a big future, I think.
0: Yeah, and it'll be fascinating to see where that future lies. Because he he actually spent time with the Brumbies, which I didn't realise, as a defence consultant there before heading over to the force and, and, and getting that sort of same gig there under Michael Foley. So it's great to see him develop. And if you've heard him talk, he just... You know, he's an impressive guy, like you're saying. For someone so young, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see. And, gosh, you, you see this team, and you've said it here, mate, they, they combine, they look like a team, they want to play for each other, and that's I think that seems pretty rare in Australia. Look, I'm, I'm sure all the other teams, they they you know want to get out there and be amongst it. but there's something that sets that force team apart at the moment in terms of their... um their willingness to do it for each other and play as a team. So, look, one of the subsets of success on the field, and, you know, let's not get carried away <laughs> from a success perspective, all I think these top Australian teams have just had three teams, three wins each, but there's going to be some interesting squad selections coming up, um, Jamie, and, and there'd have to be a fair few of these force guys pushing for selection there, don't you think?
1: Yeah,
2: it's hard not to think so. I mean, you, you'd have to think that if fit. Uh, McCallman and Dane Hallett Petty and Adam Coleman, they're all and Tatafa Pallotu now, they're all going to get picked, so the force will have four guys in in one of those squads, which is not too shabby but there's a whole lot of other guys who are probably in that conversation, I think um, Issy Nasarani has been hugely impressive since coming through the NRC last year and um, I think Ross Hallett Petty as well might be a guy that gets a bit of a look in, Um there might even be one or two other guys, you know, like Billy Meeks in the centres. You know, we just don't have a lot of centres at the moment. I, I just wouldn't be surprised if the Force have quite a lot of players coming through just at the time when um, their head's on the chopping block. Um, yeah. What do you guys think?
0: Well, that's an interesting one. I think the Cheka loves a big squad, um, and I'll come to you in a second here. I think Serrani. I'm not sure if he's eligible. I think residentially he, he doesn't quite qualify just yet, so that might rule him out. But I think the other back row that's being talked about is Richard Hardwick, who's um, who's sort of playing at number eight. He's played every position, like many of those force back rowers, played every position in the back row. Um, Checker seems a very big fan of his, his, his sort of um, uncompromising uh, approach to the game. And he plays a game that, Checker really likes. He, I worry that he's a bit in the Richard Brown type size mold, but um, uh, really tough player. and I reckon we'll see a bit of him. Hugh, what about you? What, who sort of caught your eye that you could think you know you'd be happy to see in that gold jersey?
1: Yeah, look, Bi- Billy Meeks, as as Jamie said, he, he's he's um, very consistent, very checker style player. Got a hard edge <laughs> to him. I've said that before. I, yeah, I like Hardwick. I like um, Ross Haylett-Petty. Really, the, the the whole the the whole um, Forward pack is is particularly um, outstanding, and wasn't it great to see Adam Coleman back in that in that uh, yeah, yeah. Jaguar's game? He makes a real difference. He just he, he even I think in his first game back from injury, or uh, he just looks like a swan amongst ducks um, in that forward pack. And he just makes that little bit extra ground. He works in the lineouts. It's good to see. So yeah, look, it's it's going to be the, the irony of it being this is you know. Could be one of the most promising four seasons, and you feel like if they had just a little bit of class, a little bit more class in that team, that they'd, they'd really challenge for the Australian Conference this year, and they still might. But um, it's yeah, I thought this is the time of the year where they normally tail off, and they've had this usual injury toll, and and really you look at the the 15 names they put out, the 23 names they put out, and they shouldn't be winning games at, at all, let alone ones away from home. Um, against teams like the Jaguars. So it um, makes it even more commendable for them.
0: Yeah, it does. Yeah, I'm th- going to throw... Yeah, sorry, Jamie,
2: here you go, man. I was going to say, I, I mean, Reg will know more about this with all of his local Queensland knowledge, but I think irani has been playing up in Queensland since 2015, so he's got to be coming eligible sometime soon. Um, yeah, I think it's early next year.
0: So it's the three-year uh, thing, so I think it's
2: early next year. Okay. I mean, I just think I just think he's been so impressive this year. I mean, I've yeah. seen him play 80 minute performances for a big guy like him that have been really, really impressive. And then on the weekend he came off the bench and he was he was just huge in that last 15 minutes in in pushing the force up and really they never looked like they were going to lose in that last 15. They went up a gear. And even with all their experience, the Hagiwari's couldn't match him, but you know, he's a big ball carrier, but he's also, I think almost about two meters tall. He's actually pretty tall. And I think as a, as a back rower who's big and physical and can be useful in the line out, like any coach is going to be interested in that guy who can put in, put it in for 80 minutes. So I think he's got a future down the track with the Wallabies as well.
0: Yeah, I've got no doubt. I think he'll feature strongly in, in his plans as soon as he's, he's eligible. Um, Richie Arnold's one that's surprised me. You know, little brother of, of Rory by not much, but, um, same size. And I, you know, he, he struggled with injury for a couple of years, but I, he's sort of caught the eye. I'm not saying he's wallaby ready yet, but I reckon he could be one that develops in a couple of years. And the only other two I'd like to add to the mix, I don't think we've met, mentioned John O'Lance. And I think he's, he's sort of let his, opportunities slide a little bit. You know, the, the, we had question marks over the fly half position and Lance was probably one of the leading candidates. I don't know if he's quite there yet putting aside Follie's, you know, superb form. Um, but I still think he's, you know, there or thereabouts for the squad. And, and even Curtis Rona at 13, I think he's looked pretty good. The, the league recruit who's actually a, a, a local Perth junior coming back home to play a bit of rugby. So, um, yeah, plenty of talent in that force team all round, which is, which is fantastic to see. Um, you know, it has interesting machinations for the conference and we're going to get onto the conference chat now because I want to ask a question obviously being, uh, we don't get to chat about Queensland wins too much. Um, and our building question number two is, uh, the Reds win on the weekend. They beat the Rebels obviously, um, with a, a late try 29-24. Um, does that, uh, give them the impetus and our second on the conference now, Hugh? Uh, can they go on and win the conference?
1: They're second on the conference. I mean, it's, yeah, mate. It's staggering, <laughs> yeah, mate. isn't it? It's staggering. It we seem to. Yeah, it's a real. Uh, yeah, it, it, no one's really uh, covering themselves in glory here, are they? I mean, <laughs> they, I thought I thought they they made hard work of that win, but but in the end they were the better side uh, against the rebels, who seem to lift a gear when they play Australian opponents. They they mm. um they played well again, and and I thought um. You know, Quaid Cooper's still clearly, um, affected by injury and he's not at his best. Um, but it was good to see some of those experienced forwards start to step up. Higgins has had a great season, but Stephen Moore, I thought, had his best game. Yes. Um, I thought yes. that was, that was a really, um, a timely moment for him to step up. I thought Rob Simmons had a good game as well. And, and Samu Karevi, I mean, just continues to be outstanding at super level and, and, um, you know, making some really, um, interesting decisions for Michael Checker um, as well, but he's um, he he, he, he st- stepped up in that game really nicely, so look can they win i, I don 't know I, I, it 'd surprised me um, given that the Brumbies have got a fair lead at the moment and still think. You'd think they have that class edge, but I think it's going to come down to one of these Australian teams is going to step up and beat a foreign opposition, yeah, um, as exactly. the Force have done, and that'll that'll tip everything in their favour, whether that's the Reds, the Waratahs, um, the Brumbies, or indeed it's the Force again. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if the Reds have got it in them to do it. They showed some glimpses a couple of weeks ago against the, I think it was what, the was the Chiefs um, in that first yep. half there, and they got blown away in the second. But... Um, I think they've got it in them. I'm not. I'm just not sure if they can really put it together.
0: Yeah, the th- big thing that works against them is the buy this weekend. Worst time for a buy, you know. Great for niggles and all that sort of stuff, but um, we need points and we don't get points for a buy. So that's a that's a bit of a blow for them. Hugh, what's your uh, sorry, uh, Jamie? What's your reading? I guess about the Reds, but you know, where do you think this conference, Aussie conference, may end up?
2: I don't know. I'm just. Uh, I just can't believe that the Reds are even you know still in with a shot. I mean. We talked before about the force being, you know, more than the sum of their parts. And for the Reds, it's the exact opposite, you know, with the types of names they've got in that forward pack, you know, more George Smith, Kane Douglas, Rob Simmons. I mean, there's so much less than the sum of their parts. Um, I think they have the fourth worst points against record in the entire competition. Um, and the fact that they're still in the running is just a terrible reflection on the state of the conference. And, you know, they've, they've still got the individuals who can put in good performances, but they just they just don't look cohesive as a team on the field. And I think ultimately, at the end of the day, that'll stop them from topping uh, the conference uh, come the end of the season.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's a good point about their cohesion, because one of the big signs for that is, is that defence, isn't it, Jamie? I mean, you, you know, you talk about our bad defence, and we're second in the conference, and I think our points differential is a... Negative 117, which is not a good look, and that's probably that and discipline are the, are the two things that that let us down. We've we've leaked points and given away points from discipline and, and yellow cards, and we you know I think I worked out only three matches so far this year. We haven't had a card <laughs> down in the game, so that's pretty dire. Um, look, I, I did an article last week on the site about where the conference heads up, and it, and I think it'll actually go fairly. Typically, you know, I think, you know, the Brumbies will continue to finish. The one proviso I did put on that was was the force. I thought if they... they I actually said if they won this weekend against the Jaguars, um, then they could really build some momentum because they actually... They've got um, Highlanders this week at home. At least it's at home, but then they actually play three Aussie teams as well, so that they're, they're a little bit in the masters of their own domain, so to speak. Um but the, uh, I guess the Brumbies being on top, it's it's all about them. They've got to be chased. They have a tough South African tour now. They play the Kings and the Jags as well before coming home for a couple more local derbies and finish up with the Chiefs. So dynamics all over the place. It's really it's really tough to see which way it'll go. Um, Hugh, so what Hugh? What do you reckon? Who do you reckon will end up on top?
1: Uh, I'm still sticking with the Brumbies. I think they've had a bit of a few hiccups. Lately, but I, I don't know. I just think they're they're the best team when they've been the most consistent through the season, and it's going to come down to those bonus points. And I hate to say, there's a Tars fan, but I think back to that game against the, it was the Hurricanes at home. I think where we had a we had a penalty in front of the posts after the siren, down by ten, and we had an easy penalty to knock it to seven yeah. and get that bonus point. And we decided we'd be big, you know, hairy chested men and try and score a try. And inevitably stuffed it all up and dropped the ball or something, um, and cost ourselves a bonus point. You know that's that's um, that and that that could well come back to haunt us. But um, yeah, look, um, I mean, really, um, it's more for the lucrative um, home final that we're going to get um, and have all of those fans turn up to see us be thumped by a Kiwi side, uh, whoever it is makes that final. I can't see anyone getting past the first week, so um, it's. The right to play one more game, but still, it's a pretty important one.
0: Yeah, it is, Jamie. Any thoughts on which way you think it'll go from the odds conference?
2: I, I mean, I think the TARS will probably do it. Um, you know, they can just turn up on the day and produce. See, a, aren't a you being the perfect little
0: replacement for Matt Raleigh, yeah, no? No. Oh,
2: absolutely. <laughs> this is this is my objective-informed, scientific <laughs> exp- opinion here. Um, we this just, is we
0: fact. just we need some sort of tin <laughs> hat conspiracy coming up, but uh, yeah, sorry, mate, keep going. <laughs>
2: But, uh, look, the head says the TARS, but the heart does say the force. Um, I think they're the only Australian team that deserves it. It's that simple.
0: Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, All right, we're going to move on to our next burning question. Um, And this is an interesting one. So this is, you know, we've talked about Dave Vessels and his coaching and I guess the impact at other teams as well. But uh, there is a mooted Australian coaching summit coming up. Uh, not a whole lot of information about it. Um, Hugh, I guess from your perspective, what do you want from an Australian coaching summit? Who should be involved? What sort of outcomes do you think we might...
1: would we want? Well, I'd like to see, you know, a serious discussion about centralisation, you know, looking at what the Kiwi model brings in terms of coaching and and having those specific aspects that we deem important in Australian rugby be coached right throughout the professional and amateur game. Um, You know, have, have... um, a decision about what we want to encourage, and have each super side and each club side um, play to that to that uh, hymn sheet, so to speak. And yes, you can have some individual flair within that, as we see in New Zealand, with you know obviously the Crusaders playing a very distinct style, and 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 the same goes for the Highlanders and the Hurricanes. But you know, I'd like to see, I mean, the Kiwi model, which has worked so well for them. I think you'd be mad not to just be doing. Not a carbon copy of everything, but something very close. And and at the moment, it's pretty clear with our Australian Super franchises that we've got a few areas, a few few um, regions, a few teams that are doing very good things, and a few that seem to be just completely uh, off the reservation um, in other ways. And and you know, talking about our assistants, Reg, we've got Stephen Larkham at the Brumbies who haven't scored oh, a try gosh. in a, over 200 minutes, and we've got Nathan Gray, our defence coach at the Tars, who can't seem to make a tackle, and they're letting in tries at you know at, at will. It's um pretty depressing when you think about it. And um you know we've got a bloke like Dave Vessels who seems to be what you would call the form coach. Um and you, you know you'd like to think he's there's a spot in the setup for him as well. If we're having this role where our assistants perform functions with super franchises, well I think we've got to uh, maybe evaluate their form like we do players.
0: Is it ironic that our best performed coach has come out from outside the Australian rugby system? Um, but I guess we've also got Daryl Gibson in there too. Jamie, uh, from your perspective, what, what do you think we should be trying to, to get from uh, this coaching summit?
2: Well, I agree with you centralising, getting everyone on the same page. I think New Zealand has shown over the last 15 years, really, that it's systems that produce continual output in terms of players, in terms of skills, and in terms of coaches, we've really got to centralise things. And and I think Hugh's right on the mark there. I also think that we need to talk about defence. I mean, the Wallabies' defence was appalling last year. It was really bad and cost them a number of games in which they actually scored a lot of points. And I think there needs to be some recognition that as a country – the system is doing defence badly and that maybe we can learn something from some of these much more uh, rigorous European defence coaches and really focus on that side of the ball and trying to apply pressure on opposing teams through dramatically improving our defensive know-how and our systems. And I'd love to see some of that. That would be well overdue, let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's intriguing. I mean, there's I don't know if you saw it, Hugh, but there's an article a couple of days ago, might have been today, Ben Whitaker from the ARU, who's the head of high performance uh, there and has been there for a number of years, um, who basically came out and alluded to the fact that there's no coaching summit. He's just having a catch-up meeting with um, Bob Dwyer and Dick Marks. It's just a meeting at his office, a couple of people involved, which is a, a far cry from what was portrayed in the paper as... As being, you know, Bob Dwyer and Dick Marks sitting down with the uh, Super Rugby coaches and and whatnot to to reevaluate the the structure of coaching in Australia. And Dick Marks is an interesting guy, and I don't know how much you guys know about him, but he's a he's an old um, Wallaby back in the gosh, I think 60s and so on. Um, uh, but sort of really. Um, Really, sort of made a name. For, no, it's hard to say, made a name for himself. But, but what he did was, was our first sort of national director of coaching back in, the, gosh, I think seventies, maybe eighties, sort of thing, um, and um, really sort of shaped the coaching structure and and wrote national coaching programs and spent a, spent a lot of time. in, albeit coaching nationally back then was basically just two states and the ACT sometimes. Um, but he really sort of developed that structure of coaching in Australian rugby, and and it's and and, and focused on the skill development and all that sort of stuff. But also coached the coaching program, and he's he's one of the the crudest but funniest after dinner speakers you'll ever hear. But he's also got this really sharp rugby brain. So it's fascinating that to see that it's still someone uh, that Australian rugby are, are prepared to listen to. Which is a credit to them, but you're both right. I mean, I would have liked to see more of this and even previous podcast guests, podcast guests, Ben Darwin having some sort of influence. Peter Playford, who's, you know, done a little bit of coaching, but just has this different way of thinking. And I just, I get the feeling we just need a bit of a different perspective of things at the moment from an Australian rugby specialist perspective um you know we here on the podcast have said for a while that uh, you know their coaching just doesn't seem the structures and all the way down don't seem to to be working and and hugh matt sort of goes on about the what's happened in the england and the development there they've provided and new coaches and new resources and all that sort of stuff and it all just seems a little bit lacking in australia at the moment so big sweep outs but I, i'm you know i'm just a little bit worried that we've built this supposed summit up a bit bigger than what it actually is
1: yeah well we, we probably have, but also it's worth asking. I mean, is this the time to be doing it? You know, in the middle of a super rugby season, club yeah. seasons have just started, where, you know, the super rugby, we're going through this rationalisation, potentially, of our teams, which, you know, is a, the silence on that is deafening um, and, that's you know, concerning on a number of levels. And the more, I, the more we go on, the more I'm um, of the opinion we might stay with five. But that's neither here nor there. But, you know... I, Maybe if you're going to do a sweeping reform of the way we do coaching, you would probably best to do it during the off season, aren't you? Because, you know, well, what good can it really do now to the to the to this season of Super Rugby, the changes that are going to be implemented aren't going to really be able to be brought into effect or if they are, they're not going to have much of an impact on the players. I think it's it's more, you know, I'd like to see Michael Checker involved in anything given the Wallabies are yet to convene and we've still got a chance to maybe affect their direction but um, look, I have saw him and Ledesma watching the Reds-Rebels game and God knows what he would have learned from that but it's, um, yeah look, I, I, I don't know, it, it it's as everything in rugby at the moment. You're not really sure what to believe and what what the right way to go is. But um, maybe it's something worth worth approaching with a little bit more strategy and a little bit more direction later in the year.
0: But it, I mean, Jamie, I you know I'm sure you've been listening to the podcast. It's an interesting one, sort of going off the, the 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 focus on that coaching thing. But he makes the point, mate. We have to guess what's going on here because the RU have been, you know. Horrendously absent in any sort of comment about anything, probably since the infamous announcement that this whole Super Rugby thing would be resolved in 48 to 72 hours. We're hearing nothing about anything, so it's left up it's left up to the likes of Wayne Smith and the media to to propose what they think's going on, and us suckers as fans to to believe it or not. It's just it's a painful time to be an Australian rugby fan at the moment.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no sense of leadership from the AIU. There's, there's no communication and us on the outside just have to sort of read the tea leaves and try to work out what, what on earth is going on in North Sydney. Um, and you know, it is that sort of atmosphere where without that leadership, everybody's opinion is as good as someone else's. If Wayne Smith or Paul Cully turn up and write an article in the paper, that is just as valid in terms of providing leadership to Australian rugby as something that isn't coming from the ARU because they can actually communicate with people who are invested in the game. The ARU doesn't seem to get that. It doesn't seem to realise that it needs to get out in front of all of these issues and provide some leadership and coordination. Um, there, I mean, it's hopeless. It is a hopeless situation at the moment.
0: Yeah, it really is. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, we, we, we just want something, you know. You'd just be nice, and you can't imagine some of those other organisations, the FFA with Dave Gallup and AFL with Gil McLaughlin and whomever, whomever else, Dodd Greenberg at the NRL, just sitting back and being so absent. Yeah, you know, it's like they have regular press calls, and some may think it's grandstanding and and um, and whatnot, but it's it's better than the absolute silence we're getting from. Uh, from uh, the ARU headquarters at the moment because uh, that, that's just leading to all sorts of angst and it, it's just lessening their relevance uh, in the future of Australian rugby uh, as, it, as it goes on. Um, all right, guys, let's uh, look back. I think it's probably a, a little over a week ago now. Burning question number four, we had the, not the draw, but the, I guess the pool allocations for the Rugby World Cup announced um, and... Um, an interesting set of announcements there, and it's done on, I guess, a band's perspective. In Australia, seemingly, they were in the top band with um, the likes of uh, New Zealand and Ireland and England, um, and we've done okay, it would seem. Our pool being Australia, Wales, Georgia, and then a couple more qualifiers, one from Argentina, uh, so Oceania, the number one uh, qualifier there, and then number two from Americas. Which would be who, Jamie? Who would number two be, do you reckon, Ultimately,
2: oh, I think that probably ends up being Canada, um, yep. who suck. I mean, they're, they're really terrible. Um, well, that they are. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that draw is the dream draw, I think, it is, to be it? honest. I think two of those other pools, the one with New Zealand and South Africa, and then yep. the one with, I think it's England, France, and Argentina in it. Yep. I mean, those are... Those are terrible draws to be in. Um, and we came out with Wales and Georgia. It doesn't even seem fair, but um, no, we'll take it. Take it. That's fine. Is there a concern?
0: I'll run through the other pools and we have a look. Hugh, is there a concern that it's too easy? I mean, it's, it was something that some people sort of clung to some sort of hope about New Zealand in the past as a reason behind some of their chokes in the quarterfinals and semifinals. Is, is that their pool play was too easy? Do you have any concerns that it'll be too easy a draw for us
1: no no look and i think the the part that i think a lot of people have missed or certainly hasn't been discussed and i think it's the biggest part for me is that if we do top our pool hypothetically if everything goes to rankings which is obviously a a big assumption but if that happens we're on the other side of the draw to both england and new zealand which is huge, yep. you know? I mean, because yeah, if huge. we face the All Blacks in a potential semi-final, well, you know, the way we've been going, even in 2019, you'd have to say, we're, 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 we've got an uphill battle. But to have New Zealand and, and, and England on the other side of the draw, well, look, that w- that was just the... That's the absolute cream on top of the cake. Because you look at the draw itself, and look, Wales, of, of all of the, the teams in the second pot, Wales was the one, we've, we'll... We've got the mental edge over them, um, and then, you know, Fiji and Georgia will be, you know, tough, but not, un, you know, they'll be fairly, um, beatable, I would imagine. So, we really, it really comes down to that Wales game. And, and look, it's, if we lose that, then it makes our lives quite a bit more difficult. But, it's, um, if we lose that, we probably don't deserve to win the World Cup anyway. But, then we go into a quarterfinal, I think, against, the team that comes hypothetically second out of England, France, and Argentina, um, which you'd have to assume would be one of France or Argentina, and then we go into a semi-final against probably South Africa or Ireland. So, as far Jeez, as World yep. Cup draws go, there's no such thing as an easy draw, and you know this Wallaby team, again, even in 2019, are liable to, you know, they struggle to string games together, so it's going to be tough, but... Really, if, if you had to pick it yourself, if you had to draw it yourself with everything you, you knew about the teams and the way that the the, the pots were, were set up, I think that was literally, you know, quite literally the, the best possible outcome for us.
0: So, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, let's look through some of the pools here. So pool A, you've got Ireland, uh, Scotland, Japan, who's obviously the host nation on the back of probably their best World Cup ever. Uh, Europe 1 qualifier. Uh, I'm not too sure who would that be at the moment. Any insight? Jamie, following that close enough, would that be a, uh, I don't know, uh, Spain, probably, back up
2: there? Probably something like Romania.
0: Romania, maybe? Yep. So anyway, that's top three there. Ireland, Scotland and, and Japan. So that's, that's a decent little pool. Scotland on a bit of a resurgence and Japan, you know, no Eddie Jones this time, but, uh, the, the pressure of being the home nation, that'll be their big, uh, a pot to 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 wear, I guess. What's your feeling that one, Jamie? Where where would you, if you're making an early tip, the one and two there, Ireland, Scotland?
2: Yeah, you'd have to think so, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, I think so. Japan's just an unknown quantity, isn't it? You can't quality. You can't just uh, you can't guess too early. All right, that that pool B. So you got got New Zealand, South Africa, Italy. Then they've got Africa one and a rep a charge winner. So. Basically, the last person to qualify, I guess. There, Hugh. That, I mean, that's actually pretty easy, isn't it? New Zealand obviously won, and despite South Africa's um, troubles of late, uh, you know, it's only really Italy the the major stumbling block.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, um, All black South Africa will be a good game, but it's almost a bit sad to see it in the pools. You, you kind of would like it at a later stage, but it's, it'll be the hardest. Game the All Blacks have had in pool play for a long time, so it would be interesting to see how they how they go with that, and and whether the Springboks are, are up for the fight too, because they it might be more in their interest, and actually it probably is in their interest to to lay down, come second to to the All Blacks, and then go into a, a, a the other side of the draw, and where they face they would face a, uh, you know, a, a not too difficult run to the final. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny the vagaries of the World Cup draw, but um. They end up with um, I, can't, I don't know who it'd be in the semi, but in the in the quarterfinal. But again, it'd probably be Australia in the semi. So, you know.
0: That... I, I tell you the interesting one there. Italy must be damn sick of getting New Zealand in their pool. I get the feeling they've had New Zealand a fair times in the World Cup pools. But that Italy South Africa match did didn't Italy not just beat that? Was it last year or the year before?
2: Yeah, they did. They did.
0: So you know it, it, it is a uh, rare and South Africa rugby has not be of been. been the greatest of late. So, that you know, Italy, depending on the draw and when they're playing and when they have to back up, but that'd be, you know, if it's Conor O'Shea still coaching, he'd be circling that game now as that Japan-South Africa type game from uh, a couple of years ago. That'd be the one he'd be focusing all that about because if he can get over there, they might actually finish second in their pool. And I, jeez, I can't remember, guys. That'd have to be the first time Italy have gone through to the finals in a, in a rugby World Cup as well, so that's going to be an interesting little pool as well. Um, and pool C, I the I guess that's you know, everyone has to label a pool of death. That's uh, England, France, Argentina, three three damn good teams. Um, America's one, so we're saying that's USA and Oceania too. So that's potentially a Samoa or, or Tonga there as well, Jamie. So that's a that's a hell of a pool.
2: No, it's brutal, totally brutal. And I think any of those three teams could could beat. Any of the other two on the day, uh, you, you know, you'd have to fancy England overall, but you know, anything could happen in that pool.
0: Yeah, really interesting one. So uh, it's great to see that, and obviously a few more qualifiers still to come that'll fill out those pools, and we'll we'll watch those on the site as we go. Um, burning question number five, uh, and we've got a bit of news to speak about after this, but we're getting back into our position, and, and I guess. The 13 position, why don't we look at both centres positions for the time being as a combination, 12 and 13. Um, Hugh, what do you think we'll see there from a Wallaby's perspective? What do you think Chek will pick, and I guess what what would you pick?
1: Well... I don't know. This is, this is a really interesting one. Um, Reg, I think on the face of it, you'd think it's a, it's a fight between Samu Karevi and Tavita Kurundrani, wouldn't you? I mean, Karevi's the, the form guy and, and put the runs on the board for the Wallabies last year before getting injured. But then Tavita Kurundrani came in and had, had an absolutely sensational end of year tour and, and just, you know, has that that ability to score tries and step up in the Wallaby jerseys, you know, and, and he's had a, a good season for the Brumbies too. So look, I'd I'd be inclined um, to probably stick with him, but it's a really tough call because Karevi has that creative ability, that tackle busting ability, that um that is that is probably the best in the Australian Conference, and and then you put over that, you know, you've got um, Reese Hodge who can play a bit of outside centre. You probably want to fit Carmichael Hunt somewhere. And obviously the, the perennial Israel for at 13 debate. So, look, I think it's, I think it's a, um, it's a pretty even fight between Karevi and Kurandrani, and I wouldn't be too annoyed to see either in there. Probably just siding with Kurandrani, given he was the man in form at the end of last year. And, uh, and, and has, maybe still has the class edge over Karevi, but, um, yeah, it, it'll 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 hopefully be be a, be a great little battle to to watch unfold over the coming year as to which of those two steps up and claims the jersey.
0: Yeah, I mean karevi has been superb. I think he lead, leads the league in terms of carries and run metres, and that probably says as much about the Reds' attacking structure as anything else. But um, he's so effective, and it was great as a Reds fan to see him um, pull off that get a couple of tries in the weekend and pull off that sort of last minute try because he's a you know he we rely on him for those big plays, probably too much but it's 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 you know teams have picked it, teams know it, but for him to still pull out that performance um, and and score two really crucial tries first and last was pretty big. The defensive thing is obviously the thing that he gets sort of lumbered with a little bit and and I think he 's up there from a um, a miss tackles tally in the, the competition as well. Uh, Jamie, what's your sort of reading on that battle and and, and who would you pick?
2: Yeah, look, I, th- I think it's got to be Kudrani. Um, I think Karevi is, is really, really good at one thing, which is that he just seems to make defenders miss. Even at that level, even when they know he's coming, he's just got that strength in the hips and that low centre of gravity that good defenders miss him all the time. But Kurudrani's much more multi-skilled. You know, he's got excellent defensive positioning and he's really critical in the types of structures that they, that they use in the Wallabies. Um he's good at bending a line with that tall frame. He's good at getting over. And as you said, he's, he, he has a knack for the try line, which is always pretty useful. So I think Kurudrani will, will be the number one choice. I think the real question is what on earth is going to happen at 12? You know, um, checker loves to use two playmakers and the, the sad reality is Australian rugby is just threadbare in those 10 and 12 positions at the moment. I mean, it, it would take just one or two useful performances from someone to catapult themselves into wallaby contention at the moment. It is, it is dire um, especially with Kirtley still overseas and, probably pretty unlikely to feature in june but likely to feature down the track i mean that is an area at 10 and 12 where we just can't stand any injuries uh to be honest and um i think that will have a huge bearing on how the team goes throughout the year in fact is whether we can find enough players to play well in those playmaking positions and i don't know that we will
0: um so yeah, you're right. That, that second playmaker is crucial. I guess you know you got the option here there of playing Hunt at fifteen, who I think's been the best fullback, and I think he should be the Wallaby fifteen. He's um, been excellent as a playmaker for the Reds. You know, probably standing a bit wider still, and and um, and but definitely being um, uh, you know a critical part of that Reds team. Um, Billy Meeks, you know, you mentioned before, Jamie. I think he's a a wonderful player. He could be a twelve, and he's he's got better hands than I thought he did. I wouldn't, you know, he's not a playmaker, but um, that'd be a handy combination. Uh, Other than that, you're right. There's not much out there. It's that really that combination with Foley you're looking for. Godwin has been injured. He's just returned. Reese Hodge, I guess, might have to start. Favorites. Um, He's had a fairly indifferent year, to be honest. In even his goal kicking has been up and down with, so uh, I'm not quite convinced. Hugh, you know, if you assume Beal's not there, what what's that right combination there to to play inside Tavita from your position?
1: Well, look, it's tough, isn't it? I I still lean towards Reese Hodge. Um, yep. I was on the bandwagon big time last year. I think you just look at his boot and you just think that we can do things with that at international level. You know, it's something that Australia's never really had. Um, that that ability to to, you know, kick the ball a long way, both in hand and, and on the tee. And he was really building into something last year, and I think it'd be a shame if we threw that away. And he looks like a test player, and I, I just think in that Rebels' back line, he probably doesn't have much opportunity, and it's probably not the best place for him to be to show his wares. Um, he's not the red, in the red-hot form that he was in last year, I, I grant, but I still think he's got a little bit of something that... that um, Michael Checker might see. So I'd still start... I'd I'd have a Hodge and Hodge-Kurandrani center pairing, and then I'm leaning towards a Carmichael Hunt at fullback um, with Falau and Haylet Haylet Petty on the wings, excuse me. Because, um, you know, if Beal's not going to be back, as you say, then that... that, I just saw Carmichael Hunt against the Rebels, um, Reg... Just go and smash yep. someone at the ruck. Come in, you know, full charge and and something. Well, like you'd see Michael Hooper or Stephen Moore come in, or you know, I I, I mistook him for for a back rower. He came yeah, in and yeah. smashed some bloke. And I'm thinking, you know, yeah. I I don't know a huge amount about Michael Checker, but I just know he he'd be he'd be <laughs> absolutely <laughs> frothing at the mouth at that. Um, yep. It's it's just the type of thing that's right up his alley and that that level of physicality. So I I think um. Not only will Car- uh, not only will Carmichael Hunt make the Wallabies, but I think he'll be very good. And I'll make a prediction, Reg. Chalk this up um, because I think <laughs> oh, it down. actually it might it might not be because the John Eels Medal's not in the calendar year, is it? It's on the
0: it uh, starts no, on the
1: end of year tour. Yeah. But I think I'll, I'll I'll revise it slightly. Carmichael Hunt will feature in the top ten of the John Eels Medal.
0: I think. Well, what about the more prestigious Grinning Gold Rugby Wallaby player, player of the Year? That's done for the calendar year. year.
1: I think, yep. I think again, I think uh, I think he'll be up in the top sort of seven or eight players. I could, I could see. Not only will uh, he be an international player, but I think he'll, he'll, he'll do well.
2: I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Hunt in that twelve jersey. Actually, to be honest, I think the way Checker likes to have two ball players in those roles. I mean, Karevi is a, is not a good distributor at all. I don't think Meeks really fits the type of 12 that Checker wants. You know, he'll be there and thereabouts, mm. but he's a bit of a square peg in a round hole. And Hodge is clearly much more of a long-term 13 in that pattern than he is a 12. But I totally agree with you on Hunt and what he's brought to the red this year. I mean, the fact that a 15 can get a yellow card for a massive hit is, is very encouraging. Um, and I put a lot of it down to the haircut. You know, he's let the hair go and he's <laughs> let it go wild and for the wild, looks man. like. He looks like some sort of um, just brutal warrior um, and it's a, it's a great look. You know, he's channeling some form of like primordial rage or something and it's, it's great to see. But I think those qualities might be just as useful in close and we know he's got that ball-playing game. So I think he might be the the guy that Checker leans on to sort of fill a real problem position, I think.
0: Yeah, no, that'd be interesting to see. And, you know, put aside the Scotland game, which will be a tough game, but Fiji and Italy... Might be good games to, uh, to give that a go and uh, as well. Um, look, that brings us to the end of the burning questions. A little bit of things happening around the rugby world. And, and Jamie, we, what do we have? Here? The European champs sort of wrap up. Was it last weekend? Do you get to get your eyes on that one?
2: Yeah, I had a look. Um, Saracens did the deal over Clemon, uh, back to back European cup champions. That's not too shabby. They won the English title last year and look like they're going to do it again this year. Um, you know, they're very, Uh, conservative in their orientation, in how they play the game, but they also have some amazing defensive structures. And I, again, I'm a, I'm a big believer in you do whatever it takes to win. And I think Australian rugby generally and the Wallabies more specifically could do a lot worse than to hire some of this huge crop of Northern Hemisphere defensive coaches and use them to tighten up our D. I mean, um, you know 1999 world cup last time we won we conceded one try in the entire tournament that's one try across seven matches and it was in a pool game that didn't matter so you know this this myth that we have that it's all about scoring points and running rugby it's not it's all about winning and um, I think Saracens are showing so clearly the way in which if you put together an ironclad defence, you can put real pressure on teams and make things so much easier for yourself everywhere else, help you get field position and help you attack from the right parts of the field. Um, and I think not adopting that northern hemisphere conservatism and attack, but definitely adopting its rigour and defence could be very useful for us as a as a rugby culture.
0: Yeah, fascinating. I, I keep thinking, you know, who's over there from an Australian perspective? Do we want back in, you know, Les Kiss and Tatsy Taylor, who are two sort of uh, defensive men who have um, done a bit of time in Australia and over there building their wares. And it'd be interesting to see if we could ever get those guys back again and what impact they may have on the game back here. I'm not too sure of whether their hearts are more in um, head well, coaching roles now. I don't know.
2: Well, obviously, with uh, Dave Vessels about to get the green and gold rugby sponsored leg up to the Wallaby <laughs> coaching staff, there'll be an opening over at the Force if they're still around. So um... A little
0: bit, yeah, yeah. Let's see; it'll be good to watch. Um, the only other news I just wanted to mention this week was um, you know this Australian National uh, Sevens titles, which happens kicks off in August this year. First time there's been a national uh, seven series with all the Golden Girls uh, playing, so the interesting one here and again there's a couple of blog posts on it is that it's being played through um the university so University of Adelaide uh, University of Tasmania University of New England Macquarie University University of Queensland Bond Uni uh, University of Canberra and Griffith Uni are, are all the participants um so they're out recruiting players and i just think it's a fascinating approach it's been it's one of it hasn't been done in Australia, obviously, Jamie, where you are. The collegiate system is, is how sport is played over there um, after school, and and uh, it's not so much here. But uh, to have these universities with their wonderful facilities and obviously a, a great access to, um, I guess, both spectators and players, but also all the high-performance program that comes with it, it'll be a really interesting thing to watch. Um, Develop So that kicks off in August and, and we'll keep you updated here at the site on, on how, how things go, but uh, definitely something to watch and hopefully continues to grow the game and the, the one aspect that we uh, we have had some recent success in. Um, that's got to wrap us up, guys. Uh, appreciate your time, Jamie. Great stuff getting up early over there in the States, mate. Appreciate that.
2: Not at all, mate. Any time. Breakfast is always good with a bit of rugby
0: indeed rugby makes everything better um and Hugh to you thanks for you know backing up we you know it, was, it would be an easy decision to have an extra week off but yeah, you manned up and, and made it on the show
1: yes well unfortunately my um request to rent the green Gold rugby yacht for the week was uh once again turned down I think Matt's uh somewhere in the Caribbean so uh as, as yes, exactly. uh, yes pretty standard procedure that <laughs> okay and to our listeners thanks again for for
0: joining in, and uh, we'll catch you next week.